Okay. Am I on? I am on. Yeah, okay. you're on. Okay. Good morning. I'm glad to see you all. It's a delight to be here this morning. We um, have a big chunk to cover. If you got a chance to do your homework, you see that we're doing a whole big chapter today. So we're going to dive in. We're finding somebody somewhere. I'm so glad you found them. Okay, so as a reminder, first Peter, Peter wrote these chapters um, by way of a reminder. I just said reminder twice. Um, by way of a reminder to believers um, who are living in the face of suffering, in the face of a world that is not as it should be, and um, in the face of people who are treating them perhaps not so well because of what they believe. Um, and this word, actually, remember, comes up over and over again in First Peter and Second Peter. And we see him preaching the gospel to the people he's writing to, also to himself. Lisa pointed that out the first week, also to himself. We constantly need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. So if you'll recall, Lisa shared this and Christine shared this, and you're probably going to keep seeing it many more times over the next few weeks, um, that these are themes that we see over and over again in First and Second Peter. Um, and how they weave together into this life that we can live, the identity that we have in Christ, the hope that we have because of that identity, then it plays out in how we should live and live and the influence that we have on others because of the way that we're living. So last week, Christine walked us through the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, and she reminded us um, primarily of these first two things, that our identity comes um, as those who have been bought with the blood of Jesus, that we have value because of that identity. And we can have hope because we know, if you remember, does anybody remember what she said? We have hope because we know the guy, right? <laughs> Thanks, the guy. Um, so in that first chunk, Peter is giving us kind of the gospel um, in a nutshell. He's giving us this beautiful summary of what the gospel looks like, what it means, how um, that plays out in our identity and the hope that we have because of that. And he could leave it there, but he doesn't. He moves into our passage today, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 2, or 1, 13 through 2, 12. He moves into this section using the word therefore, or depending on your translation, so. And um, this is his way of telling us that everything that I am about to say has its foundation in what I've just said. So as he moves us from this meditation on our identity in Christ and the hope that we have because of that, that is, um, if, you've, if you've been here with us on Sunday mornings before, you'll hear Chris Payne and our other teaching pastors talk about doctrine, what we believe, um, our identity in Christ and the, and the hope we have because of that, it moves us to action. It moves us into how we live. Um, they often refer to this as ethic. So we covered identity and hope in, in focus last week. This week, we get to focus some on how we live and the influence we have because of that, but all based on the identity 
and hope that we have. So how we should live is resulting from who we are and what has been done for us. And if there's nothing else that you remember today, please remember this. We have hope and now we need to act like it. We have hope and now we need to act like it. And that plays out in two ways. That plays out in how we think and what we do. We have internal action, how we think, and external action, what we do. And how we think comes up in 1 Peter um, 1.13. We see it there. Um, he talks about um, preparing yourself for action. And I actually really like the way the New King James Version um, explains this. It says, gird the loins of your mind. And it sounds strange for me to say that I really like that because it's a really strange phrasing and it might not make any sense to us to say that we gird the loins of our mind, but it has root um, in battle and the way that men would prepare themselves for battle. Think about it. They wore these long tunics. Could you, I mean, we, we have all worn a dress at some point. Are you going to run and jump and climb and do some hard work in your nice long dress? No, you're not. So what these men would do when they were preparing for hard labor or going into battle is they would pull their tunics up and they would pull them up and around and through and they would kind of tie them around their waists or tuck them into their belts. And it would give them the freedom of movement to be able to do the work they needed to do to fight battles, to do any of this kind of like physical exerting. So this is what is meant by girding the loins of your mind. This is this concept of preparing your mind for battle, strengthening yourself from action. And Peter definitely views holy living as a battle because we see it in chapter two, verse 11. He talks about keeping away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And this is a concept that shows up often in the New Testament, this concept of spiritual battle, of preparing yourself for battle, thinking about, think about like the armor of God that comes up in Paul's writings. Um, so he's telling us that because of our identity in Christ, because of the hope that we have, we should prepare our minds for battle. We need to gird the loins of our minds. We are to be sober-minded, which means we are to be self-controlled. If you think about how does a sober person act, they are in control of their actions. They're in the control of the way that they're thinking. And then we're also to set our hope fully on the salvation that we have in Christ and the glory that will be revealed um, through him. So um, this is this idea of not looking around at our circumstances, not um, letting our eyes be focused on what's around us, but focusing our eyes ahead towards Christ. Um, I've been reading Little Pilgrim's Progress with my girls at night, and um, they refer to the celestial city, this journey that they're on to the celestial city. And over and over and over again in the story, there are points where they come to a hill or, and they can see the celestial city, or they're down in a valley and they're reminding each other, we are headed for the celestial city. And this, I think, is the concept that Peter has in mind of setting our hope fully on the um, salvation and the glory that is to be revealed when Jesus comes. 
So we are to gird our minds. We are to be disciplined in the way we think. We are to set our hope. All these things are very present tense verbs that imply intention. So we're not going to accidentally stumble into a mind that is focused on Christ. Um, Think about it this way, a dry sponge. If you have a dry sponge, it's going to soak up whatever comes its way. But if you fill that sponge with something, if you fill it with a liquid, it's, less, it's more resistant to the liquids that are coming that way. So that's the way we think of our minds. If we are not in control of our minds, if we're not filling our minds with Christ intentionally, then we're going to be much more likely to fall um, prey to whatever comes our way, to be wavering according to our circumstances. So... I wonder where your own thoughts are today. Are they running wild? I know this morning, trying to get my kids to school and trying to make sure I had all my notes prepared and my little drive stick. I mean, they were everywhere. Or are your thoughts set on hope? Are your thoughts remembering where your identity is, bringing yourself back to who you are in Christ. How can you make that choice? How can you make the choice to set your minds on Jesus today? So Peter shows us first that our hope should have an effect on the way that we're thinking. Now for the rest of our time, we're going to talk about um, the effect our hope should have on how we act, on what we do. And this is the bulk of our verses here from 14, 114 to 21. And I want you to see that we're going to kind of follow this little pattern here. We're going to go over what we are called to do, how we are to behave, how we are to live because of what Christ has done for us. Um, we're going to look at why we're called to this life, a reminder of who we are and what done, has um, done for us. Paul cannot get away. Paul, Peter, I've done a lot of Paul studies lately, so I need to make this shift in my mind. I'm on Peter. Peter cannot get away from the gospel, and neither should we when we're doing these things, when we're considering these things. So we're going to talk about what and why. We're also going to talk about how do we live this way, because some of these things seem impossible. And the reality is they are without Jesus. So How do we live this way? And then we're going to kind of briefly touch on this concept of influence. We're going to briefly touch on what happens when we are living this way. So here we go. The first thing, what and why. The first thing that um, Peter is calling us to do is to be transformed. Um, Living our lives as obedient children. Some um, translations tell you not to be conformed. We are not who we were. This is the why. We are not who we were. We are now children of God, so we should be living as children of God. The second thing he says is that we are to be holy. Now, I don't know about you, but this is probably, in all of this reading, the one thing my brain stuck on a lot. Be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Okay, great. Well, God is perfect, and I'm not. So I might as well just go ahead and give up. Not exactly. (laughs) So the one who chose us, we are adopted as children of God. So as adopted children, we are to reflect the character of the one who adopted us. And this is what it means. This is when we, when we think about this concept of holy, there are two things we should consider. We should consider first that, um, 
To be holy is to be set apart. Now, in the context of God, he is utterly and completely transcendent from us, from anything he has created, and we are never going to be that. We are never going to be transcendent. That is something only God can be. But we can live set apart. He has called us as his own, and we are going to look different because of the hope that we have, the influence that it should have on the way that we're living, we are not going to look like the world around us. And that is, we are going to look set apart. Um, also, this concept of being set apart for and unto the Lord. We'll talk about it a little bit later, what this idea of living, of a, uh, living as a living sacrifice looks like to God. And then also there is the aspect of... Um, utter purity of character, of moral perfection. And that's a lot of times where we get really tripped up because we know we're not perfect. We know we struggle over and over again. Um, one book that I referenced a lot in preparation for this is a book that Jackie Hill Perry wrote called Holier Than Thou. And I highly recommend it if you are interested in diving deeper into this con concept of what holiness looks like, um, both the holiness of God and how we are to live that out. But she says that um, in terms of God, this utter purity of characters, Jackie Hill Perry says that all that God says is true and all that he does is good. All that he says is true and all that he does is good. And that's the kind of thing that we are to um, be emulating, that we should be we have been made holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now we live into that and we live in ways where what we're saying is true, what we're doing is good. And, on, and Jesus is who we look towards for this. He is the only one who in flesh was able to show us what living set apart and what um, purity of character looked like. So when we are struggling, we look to him. So we be transformed, we be holy. Now, now he calls us to live in reverent fear. What does it mean to live in reverent fear? Are we to be terrified of God? Are we to cower and hide? That's not the concept that he's getting at here. He's getting at this concept of um, honor. A Dear friend of mine, Whitney, <laughs> puts it this way, that it is, this is not a negative. This is a positive attitude of honor towards the Lord. Why? Well, in the verses following, he talks about, um, he talks about God as judge. Um, he is a just judge. He, um, because of his purity of character and his moral perfection. He can judge us appropriately. And on top of that, he has ransomed us. He has bought us with the precious blood of Jesus. That is another word that shows up over and over again, precious. We have value to him. He has redeemed us. So we should live in a way that honors him. And that's the concept Paul is getting at here in, in reverent fear. And then we are to um, show sincere love or depending on your translation, love deeply with all our hearts. We have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. And we have been born again to a new life that is somehow infused with this amazing 
um, the never-ending character of God's living word. And we are bound together as fellow believers. We want to make sure, I want to um, make sure I point out that he's talking about this in the context of the body of Christ and fellow believers. We are bound together um, as brothers and sisters. And bound together as the family of God, we're to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. If you think back to the Gospel of John and the discourse that Jesus is giving to his disciples, he talks about a new command I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's what Peter is talking about here. Um, The professor J. Ramsey Michaels says it this way, if common faith and hope are what give the community its identity as God's chosen people, then love is its practical bond. And this love is not going to look like what the world calls love. This love is going to be steadfast. It's going to be unwavering. It's going to be never-ending. Again, a book I read to my children, um, Sally Lloyd-Jones's storybook Bible. She talks about the never stopping, never giving up, unending, always and forever love of God. This is the kind of love that we are giving to one another. And again, along with this idea of holiness, this feels impossible because I don't know about you, but there are people around me that don't, I don't always act in a way that is, um, that merits this kind of love. Um, But again, Jackie Hill Perry points out that holiness is what makes this kind of love possible. The work that Jesus has done in our hearts is what is making this kind of love possible. And without that holiness, love is, she says, purely sentimental. It's easily misplaced and it is unconditionally conditional. This love is only made possible through Jesus and the work that he is doing in us. And then also we are to reject the old ways. It's the very beginning of chapter two. He talks about um, putting off um, evil behavior, being done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Why? Well, I think he's kind of adding this as a tag on to those verses where he talks about the eternal never failing, unending character of the word of God. I don't think it's any coincidence that these evil behaviors he's telling us to put off are largely focused on our speech. Coming after verses that talk about the word of the Lord remaining forever. Um, Reject the old ways. Reject, he's talking here, I think primarily, especially about the way we speak. Um, we are to reflect the words of the one who has called us. So, Peter is making it abundantly clear that he wants us to remember the gospel and that he wants us to see the connection between the gospel and our holy living as an outpouring of the hope that we have in Jesus. And again, to put it simply, we have hope, so now we're to act like it. So think for a minute, how is the way that you're behaving, how is the way that you're acting, maybe need to shift a little bit to more accurately reflect the hope that you have, the change that has been made in you? Maybe we need to remember that we're children of God and live like it. Maybe we need to remember that the Holy Spirit has made us holy and live into that. Maybe we need to remember that God has 
bought us with his son's blood and we should honor him and respect him. Maybe we need to be loving. Maybe we need to be careful in the way we're speaking to one another. So, we know that having hope should result in holy living, but how exactly are we going to do this? It seems pretty impossible. Well, great question. I would love to tell you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that all the way very back in the beginning. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. He says that God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. Again, Jackie Hill Perry, you're going to get tired of me quoting her today. But she says, we must be made alive before we can be made holy. And she gives this idea of a person standing over a dead body and saying, breathe, get up and walk, live. We can't do that. We're not going to be able to stand in front of a body and make it animated. The Spirit has to do that in us. That's what we're doing when we're trying to be holy out of our own efforts. We're trying to make a dead person live again. And we need the Spirit working in us to do that. But it is important to note that we still have a responsibility to participate with the Spirit. The Spirit's doing the work, and it's our job to participate with the Spirit um, and partner with Him in this work. And I see in the remainder of our scriptures today two ways in these last verses that that happens. We do that by remaining and remembering. So first, let me tell you a story about my very favorite artist. His name is Rembrandt. He was a Dutch artist from the 1600s, and he has hundreds upon hundreds of paintings and etchings and drawings. And over the last few decades, um, some of his paintings have been, the attribution has been changed from him to his students. So here we have one, the man in the golden helmet, brilliant name for this painting because it's a man in a golden helmet. They were real creative. Um, this one was attributed to Rembrandt and it was in the last probably 10 or 20 years attributed to one of his students. There's not much difference here. And that's because in this era of learning to be an artist, masters would encourage their students to imitate their work for their practice. Um, they would practice their techniques. Sometimes they would outright copy a painting that had been made by their teacher. And think about this. If for a, for a student to be able to so accurately paint the style of their master that their painting is attributed to their teacher. What does that say about what that student knows? That student knows their technique. That student knows um, the way they see the world. That student knows all kinds of things. And this only happens by being near the teacher. This only happens by being near the teacher. Imitation requires intimacy, and intimacy requires proximity. So, 
we see this come up in a couple of ways. Peter explains it to us by craving pure spiritual milk, time in the word of God. What happens whenever a newborn baby does not receive the nutrition it needs? It doesn't grow. In fact, they have a term for this, failure to thrive. That's what happens to us when we are not in the word, when we are not um, spending time with God we will fail to thrive. We will fail to grow. And this idea of living in holiness is this idea of ongoing growth. Um, Peter also um, implies in 2 Peter 4, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says, as you come to Christ. So his, his idea is that we are in relationship with Christ. We are constantly coming to him. We are constantly spending time with him. And he also points out that Christ is our cornerstone. Christ is the one that all of this is based on. A cornerstone is the stone that, the first stone that is laid in a building. And all of the other stones are laid in reference to that building. That Um, All other stones are laid in reference to the building, and then the building is oriented according to that cornerstone. So we need to constantly be coming to Jesus, our cornerstone, and orienting ourselves according to him. Otherwise, we'll be in crooked lines and the building doesn't stand. Um, So crave pure spiritual milk, going to the cornerstone. And then we're to remember We are to remember, we saw it earlier in these chapters, we talked about being redeemed and being born again. We're also to remember, Peter here uses a lot of Old Testament imagery. He talks about us being a spiritual temple. He talks about about us being a holy priesthood and a chosen people. These are all Old Testament references, which I think is very interesting considering he's writing to an audience that has a lot of Gentile believers in it. And the point he's trying to make here is that God is doing the building for us. We need to remember that God is building us. He's building us into a spiritual temple. The the temple was God's dwelling place, the place where his spirit um, met his people, where heaven met earth. And that's in us now. Um, And the holy priesthood. The priests working in the temple offered sacrifices, offered praise, offered worship to the Lord. And we are to do that with ourselves. We are to be as Paul, now I get to pull out Paul, as Paul says in Romans, we are to be living sacrifices unto the Lord. So the way that we um, move about in the world should honor him, should bring him praise and worship and glory. Um, And we are chosen people. And again, I love that Peter is using this imagery speaking to a lot of Gentile believers that we are now what the nation of Israel was always meant to be. People set apart for the Lord. And this only happens because of Jesus. So um, in remaining and remembering, and I'm getting ahead of myself there, in remaining and remembering, we believe, we trust. He talks about how people who are not believing, not trusting Jesus, and this way of life is a stumbling block for them. It's difficult Um, And in believing, we're moved to action. 
So the hope we have moves us to holy living, and holy living happens by the power of the Holy Spirit when we remember who we are and we remain in Jesus. And now briefly, Peter touches on what happens when having hope results in holy living. Um, Remember, we talked about holy living. To be holy is to be set apart. And when we live the way that God calls us to live, we will be set apart from the world and from our culture. The message puts these verses, um, chapter 2, 11, and 12, in this way. The world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. People always tend to notice the things that are out of place, the things that are different. You walk into a room with a bunch of paintings on the wall, you're going to notice the one that's just a little off. That's the way we are to be. And why? Because we are to bring honor and glory to God. Back to those Rembrandt pizzas. Students imitated their master so well that Rembrandt got the credit. So when the hope that we have changes how we live, others are going to notice and God's going to receive the glory. We are not the same as we once were. We have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. We are God's children, his royal priesthood, his living temple, his chosen people. We have great hope. So we live holy lives so that God gets the honor. So I want you to take just a minute and stop and think. If you're taking notes, maybe take 30 seconds to jot down in the margins or the bottom so you can come back again and think about this. Um, Fill in these blanks for me. Because Jesus, blank, I am, so I will for the glory of God. For the record, this is not like a test. There are no right answers. <coughs> Sisters, having hope leaves us to holy living. Putting it another way, we have hope, now we act like it. To Christ's honor and glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. Help us to lean into the holiness that you have given to us through him alone. Help us to lean into the work that the Spirit is doing in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Help us to act like we have hope in this world. And may it bring you honor and glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen.